But and I'm glad I asked that question because it's always been this has been on his mind for the last thirty years. <laughs> it's been there for a while. Finally, some closure. <laughs> I got some closure on my my friends the the helical scan drives. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And with me, as always, is my auto mechanic advisor. <laughs> I'm good, Curtis. I think you have to qualify auto mechanic advisor with... Well, auto I am the auto mechanic. Who You're advising watch- me. <laughs> well, auto mechanic advisor who watches a lot of YouTube to learn about cars. <laughs> I think it's a more well, accurate way. You've been advising me this week on my <laughs> overheating problem due to your extensive experience at working on the cooling systems of Toyota Priuses, <laughs> right? Oh, I, yeah. I just assume that you've, you've <laughs> taken apart many Toyota Prius cooling systems. And so therefore you feel, you know, qualified to give me advice on how to work on my car. You know, I bet I've seen enough videos on engine dismantling and putting it back together <laughs> that I really want to go buy like a junkyard engine just to try it out and see if I could do it, even though I have nothing to put it in. Well, I might to possibly I might possibly have a, a Toyota Prius engine available for you <laughs> at some point now that I've got 160,000 miles on my uh, my 2013 Toyota Prius. <laughs> Yeah, so it's 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 we'll see. I bought I've bought all basically. I've bought the entire cooling system. Uh, I'm 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 not going to do like Easter egging as we called it in the military. I, I'm gonna I'm just for using Rock Auto. I was able to buy basically all of the parts of my cooling system for 150 bucks, including the water pump and the sensor and the thermostat. And when you're in it, you might as well just do it all. Yeah, just I'm just going to replace them all, and then your your Prius has the miles. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we we have a guest who's probably wondering what podcast he is now. So I talked to. He's like, I thought we were going to talk about tape. Uh, no, we we have. Uh, I'm very excited to have uh, th- this this guest on here for the first time. Uh, he is, you know, way more qualified to talk about this topic than I am. He has degrees in both electrical engineering uh, and a PhD from the University of Cambridge in '97. And he's been working in a number of fields, but he and and then he gained, uh, he became an IEEE fellow in 2019 and was named IBM Master Inventor in 2011. He now manages the Cloud FPGA and Tape Technologies Group in the Cloud and AI Systems Research Department of the IBM Zurich Research Laboratory. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Lance. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. If you, if you couldn't tell, Mark, Curtis is so excited to be talking about tape. It's If you go back and listen to this podcast, I want to say there's probably at least 20 episodes on tape. 20 episodes out of what? Has there really been 20? Or maybe 15 episodes out 15, of uh, 15, probably, what, maybe. 120 episodes. Uh, I feel like uh, Jose Jimenez, baseball has been very, very good to me. Tape has been very, very good to me for many years. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I now work for an, I'll, I, I now work for a, a, a tapeless company. I, you know, I, and I'll do our, our disclaimer. I work for Druva, uh, which is a cloud data protection company, and uh, Persona works for Zoom. 
And uh, neither of it, this is not a Zoom or Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. Make sure to rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And also, uh, if you're interested in any, any of the topics that we talk about, we would love to have you on. Um, it's always great to talk to people, especially if you're someone that's actually out in the field doing things. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I'd be giving away a free ebook version of my new book, Modern Data Protection by O'Reilly and Associates. They've been gracious enough to let me do that. And to be eligible for that, you just need to do one of the following. Subscribe to the mailing list on BackupCentral.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Or rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And if you subscribe to the mailing list, I'll know automatically. If you do either of the others, then just send me an email at wcurtispreston at gmail.com to, you know, with a screenshot of what you've done. And then I will add you to the list of people that are eligible. But I forgot last week to announce last week's winner. So I'm going to announce last week's winner as well as this week's winner right now. And if you'd like to be eligible for a future ebook version of Modern Data Protection, then just do one of those things. So the winners this week, your email address starts with Ferrigno Michael, and the other one starts with E. Barrera, and you'll be getting a separate email from me. So I'm going to turn things back over to, well, back over to me. It was your article, Mark, that caught my attention, which is, it was in the uh, IEEE spectrum, why the future of data storage is still magnetic tape. I, I would say I am easily the most pro tape person at a no tape company, but even I have wondered, you know, there, there are things that tape really brings to the table, but it also has downsides as well. And so I, um, even though I, I consider myself a very pro tape person, I've often wondered what's next, right? Um, and so I, I just every once in a while I talk to people. Like I, I know somebody who's in the Skunk Works stuff over at uh, Hitachi, and you know, and he, and he's hinted at some things that might be coming. But you're in the research side in IBM, and you're clearly, you know, you have an insight into the future a little bit more than, than I would say I have. And you still think that tape is, at least in the near future, tape is still the, uh, you know, in our future. Does that, does that seem like a, a fair statement? Yeah, no, very much so. And um, I think why, why I personally am kind of excited about the potential of tape is because it really has a lot more scaling potential, aerial density scaling potential. So right. we can continue scaling the, the capacity of tape systems for at least the next decade. Um, and that's, that's, that's exciting. Um, especially when you look around at other technologies on the market, like HDD, where the, in the past, HDD has been scaled very successfully, very aggressively, but over the last five, eight years has, has really slowed down a lot. And you know, there are some fundamental physical challenges, what we call the superpower magnetic limit, that right. have caused that slowdown. And tape is still very far away from that superpower magnetic limit. So we have lots of potential to keep scaling tape technology. 
Could you talk about for the listeners who may not be familiar with what super paramagnetic uh, limit is? Could you talk briefly about that and why it's a concern for uh, tape as well as for disc? Probably more so for disc than tape. Sure. Um, so it's comes about um, because of the way both tape and, and disc technologies work. Basically, we are encoding information in small magnetic domains or mar- magnetic marks on a thin film of magnetic material on, on a disc that's coated, you know, on an aluminum platter or a glass platter and tape, it's on a thin piece of plastic, but it's, it's essentially the same technology. But that thin film of magnetic material is made up of small grains or particles. And when, when we write information, we're actually encoding the information in the transition from one magnetic state to the other. Now, in an ideal world, that transition would be a perfectly straight line. But because the magnetic media is made up of these small grains, that transition has roughness associated with it. And that causes noise in the readback signal. So when we shrink the size of the bits that we're writing to get a higher capacity, we need to shrink the size of those magnetic grains so that 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 transition, that line, remains relatively straight. We want to maintain kind of a constant signal-to-noise ratio. And if the bits get smaller, the grains have to get smaller. But then the, the challenge is that when we shrink those magnetic grains, there's less magnetization energy. And that means that the information is less stable as a function of time. Now, in the past, what we've done to combat that is to tune the material so it has a higher coercivity. Um, the higher coercivity means that there's more magnetization energy in a small volume, so we can shrink it and still make the information stable over time. But the problem is when we increase the coercivity, we need a stronger magnetic field to write the information in the first place. Um, and so the HDD industry has gotten to the point where if they shrink the size of the grains any smaller, they will have to increase the coercivity so much that they can't write the information in the first place. You can make the media, you can make it stable. Yeah. You just can't write any information. And so it's it, like the it gets very hard. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, never. Yeah. Uh, but the, of course, it's not the end of scaling. The HDD industry is very resourceful. They've been working on alternative technologies to kind of get around this superparamagnetic limit. Generally, those are called energy-assisted magnetic recording technologies, where you have an external source of energy to help you uh, write the media that has this very high coercivity. Um, so that's like, um, uh, what's the what's the, ha- the hammer drives, right? The heat Exactly. Heat hammer is, is a great example right. where you use a laser to very locally heat the media up. Um, you do that because the coercivity is a function of temperature. So when you heat the media up, the coercivity is temporarily much lower so that you have enough magnetic field to write the data. And then it's basically frozen into the surface of the disk and is stable over time. That seems yeah. very expensive and complex. <laughs> it, yeah. it has proven to be very challenging. Um, the HDD industry has been you know, quite optimistic that the technology will be on the market in the next year or two, but they've had that optimism for 10 years. And there's also um, there's also what the salted drives or something, right? The, those isn't that part of the story? 
Are you talking about shingled media recording? No, I thought that there was, is it not salted? Am I making that up? There's uh, MAMR too, right? MAMR is another technology. There's microwave-assisted te- magnetic recording. Um, and that's a, a similar idea where you use um, what's called a spin-torque oscillator. That's a kind of quantum mechanical device that you can integrate into the right head itself. If you pass a current through it, it generates a magnetic field, which is oscillating at microwave frequencies, hence the name microwave-assisted magnetic recording. And that extra magnetic field from the spin-torque oscillator combines with the field from the right head to give you enough magnetic field to write the media. But both of those things are are very complicated and yeah. difficult and it, to make reliable enough to ship in a product. And so they- And rely, reliable taken, matters, right? I remember the last thing, the last major, at least in my memory, because I, I don't live in that world, but I obviously use disk drives a lot. Uh, the last major sort of aha moment was when they went to vertical- uh, I, I don't know the formal term, but the idea was somebody got the idea, well, we could probably fit a lot more grains on the media if we have if we make them all stand up instead of everybody laying down. Um, so that's perpendicular recording. Perpendicular recording. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I, I knew there was a I knew there was a, <laughs> an actual term for that. Uh, and that happened many years ago, right? Maybe 10? Yeah, yeah exactly. Even 20, yeah. sort of the... Early two thousand okay. is a transition. Yeah. Time time flies when you're yeah. when you're having fun. But even with these newer um, technologies for hard disks, I don't think we're exp- or you would see sort of the doubling every sort of three to five years that no. we had seen in the past with hard disk drives. Correct? A- exactly. Even the the HDD manufacturers themselves, their own kind of predictions are sort of maybe 15 to 20% compound annual growth rate once they can introduce the technology on the market. But mm. that's just the, you know, the, the aerial density scaling. One of the, the challenges with Hammer is that you need to integrate this relatively high-powered laser onto the HDD head itself. Um, and in a modern high-capacity HDD, like an 18-terabyte disk, actually has nine platters and 18 heads. So you have to add 18 of these mm. not free lasers. <laughs> not free. Uh, it adds I like significant cost to, to the whole HDD. So and, just for that thing to be cost neutral, you need a significant increase in capacity to maintain the dollars per, per Interesting. Yeah. And I also wonder about power and cooling too, right? If you have lasers, I'm sure those consume quite a bit. Especially it, if you have eighteen lasers, <laughs> exactly it, it it increases the the power consumption a little bit, but the 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 cooling is kind of at, at the heart of the challenge for hammer technology, because the the bits are so small on a disc. We actually have to focus the light down to a kind of nanoscale spot size, and that's very inefficient. So only about one or two percent of the laser power actually goes into heating the media itself. The mm. other 98% goes into heating the laser and heating the near-field transducers. That's the, the focusing optics that focuses it down to this very small s- spot size. And unfortunately, 
the the lifetime of a laser and this near field transducer are exponentially dependent on their temperature. So when they yep. get hot, they tend to fail. Yeah. And because the laser is integrated on this little grain <laughs> of sand, one millimeter by one millimeter size HDD head, th there's really no possibility to do any cooling. So they yep. do get warm, and they they have a, a tendency to to fail. And th that's been the biggest challenge for for Hammer is trying to increase the reliability of of the lasers uh, to make a you know. A, a shippable product. Out of yeah, it. I'm just thinking like for someone who's looking at these much larger discs, they probably have like a server with say like 50 of the disc drives today. Once you start putting 50 of these hammer drives in there, yes, you'll get increased capacity. But at the same time, how do you keep them all cool enough so they don't all start failing at random points in time and bringing down your storage? Mm. Well, yeah, well, that, yeah, that, it's interesting. I, you know, I was aware of, of Hammer and, and uh, I, I wasn't aware of all of these challenges. That's, that's quite, and, and so what your point, your original point that you were making was that tape is not anywhere near this problem yet, right? Exactly, um, exactly. And that's basically why... because you're just, you don't have the, the, the terms aerial density, right? You're not anywhere near the aerial density uh, that disc is. Can, can you give it, give a sense of the scale in terms of where you are in that? Yep. No. So today, uh, uh, state of the art HDD operates at about one point one or one point two terabits per square inch, or you know, one thousand two hundred gigabits per square inch. Okay. Uh, state of the art tape drive is at about twelve gigabits per square inch. So we can scale by about a factor of 100, the aerial density, before we kind of bump up against the same challenges that HDD has, this, this superpower magnetic limit. Wow. So the tape cartridge of 20 terabytes we have today, you know, we can keep scaling by a factor of 100. Yeah, I saw a, a picture there was, uh, I thought it was very effective once in a, in, a, in a tape presentation where they actually had a, microscopic picture of a grain on a disc next to a microscopic picture of a grain on a tape. And it showed, you know, it was like, this is roughly the size of this versus the size of that. And, you know, and the same, same kind of, uh, uh, issue. Um, yeah, we, we had a, a really good discussion with, uh, Joe Jernicke. Tape designer schools, Mr. Backup on tape. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe Jernicke, who has, uh, you know, he's been at the you know, the core of actually designing this stuff for many, many years. And he, we had a really good conversation about coercivity, uh, which is, by the way, the, <clears throat> the concept of coercivity is, um, it, it's just not something that we talk about in regular IT everyday world, life, right? Yeah. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't, it just doesn't come up. Right. And so when I, when I try to explain to the average person of like, well, it, you know, all magnetic media degrades over time. And so the question is how much it's going to degrade. And it's a factor of two things, the size of the magnetic grain, and then also uh, heat, right? Uh, and, and, and that basically tape has much bigger grains and it, and it, it is stored at a much you know, basically, and th this is before we get to hammer, right? Just generally speaking, a disk drive is much hotter than a tape sitting on a shelf, um, which is essentially 
going to be stored at ambient temperature. And so as a result, tape does much better at holding on to ones and zeros for long periods of time than disk does. And also, you know, you talked earlier, you talked about the challenges because of the aerial density that disk has versus tape. Uh, that That's probably a, a, a solid reason why tape is also better at recording the the ones and zeros in the first place, right? So it has better, it has a better UBER, right? Bit error rate. Yeah, bit error rate than uh, disk, and it has a better coercivity rate, meaning it's going to hold on to the data for longer periods of time than disk. Again, I, I don't live in that world. Can you explain bit error rate and you know what, how we compare to tape versus disk? Um, sure, um, I can try at least. Um, okay. So okay. So b- basically, all all storage technologies have what we call a, a raw bit error rate. That's the the error rate um, of the the raw storage media. Like in magnetic recording, the the read head reads back the information written on the disk. That's an, an analog signal that gets digitized, and then there's something called a read channel that processes that signal and tries to make a decision, is this a zero or is it a one? And as we shrink the size of the bits, the signal tends to get a little bit noisier. Uh, And so the read channel maybe starts to make uh, more errors than normal. But all storage systems have this kind of raw error rate. And we we engineer around it using error correction codes. Tape technology has two error correction codes, what we call a C1 and a C2 code that are essentially orthogonal to each other. And we combine those to make the user bit error rate much, much better than this raw error rate. Basically, the job of the error correction codes is to detect these errors that the the data channel is making and then to correct them. Um, And in tape, we write relatively large blocks of data um, in a latest enterprise drive is something like 12 megabytes is a block of data. So we can have quite large error correction codes that are very efficient. And this allows us to achieve uh, a bit error rate after error correction, or what I think of as kind of the user bit error rate that's 10 to the minus 20. Um, so in every 10 to the 20 bytes or bits that you write, one of those bits will be an error. Whereas in HDD, the the block sizes are much smaller, and so it's difficult to achieve that same level of reliability. Uh, so typically, uh, an HDD has a, a bit error rate of 10 to the minus 15 or 10 to the minus 16, depending on if it's an enterprise class drive or uh, a less expensive drive. I think that actually for SATA drives, I think actually goes down to 14. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's correct. So that number is concerning because, and and again, this is just not something that, (laughs) well, first off, I don't think disc and tape drive manufacturers do a good enough job of advertising this number. Uh, Certainly not the disc ones. Maybe tape is better at advertising this number because it, it, it looks better than the tape. I'm sorry, than the disc number. But we don't talk about this because 10 to the 14th, it's like, 10 terabytes. Exactly. That's a really scary number, meaning that one out of every 10, one bit out of every 10 terabytes is written incorrectly and we don't know. It, it, or it's, is that if you rent? have a, 
a 10 terabyte disk, there's a pretty good chance that there will be an error, uh, an uncorrectable error on the Uncorrectable post. or yeah. undetected or uh, which is which is crazy if you think about like a picture, right? Like I have my family pictures on my laptop and all of a sudden one important picture is kind of messed up because there is an uncorrectable error on disk. Yeah. And what's so what's the difference between 10 to the 14th and 10 to the 20th? Because it sounds not that far, but it's pretty far. Yeah, six orders of magnitude, so a million times. <laughs> so so a million, terabytes. so 10 terabytes. million terabytes. Would that be, did I do that math right? I, I think I think that, yeah. so, so 10 million, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is that an exabyte? Is that a? It's 10 exabytes. So the difference, the the reliability of disk or tape when writing data is one bad bit in 10 exabytes versus on the on, on the very low end SATA drives uh, is one one error in in every 10 terabytes which is th- that's huge and and yeah um if we go up to enterprise grade uh like you know not SATA uh enterprise grade fiber channel drives or whatever the right term would be there uh, we're looking at 10 to the 16, 10 to the minus. 10 to the 16. So that would be one petabyte, not yeah. 10 terabytes. Yeah. Which is better. But I think just throwing in, because this is a backup podcast, this is why if you are a consumer, you want to back up your <laughs> external media and everything else, because there is a chance that you might have uncorrectable errors on your disk. This is why we back up. And this is why we make copies. This is why what exists, Persona? The three, two, one rule. The three, two, one rule. Exactly. This is why we make two backups, right? Uh, one, you know, and, and we store one of them somewhere else. Um, so, so tape, you know, and we've talked about this before that tape has, you know, it, it's it's solid in terms of its ability to write data in the first place. It's good in its ability to hold data, hold on to data for long periods of time. And what I'm hearing from you now. And, and I think this is really the first time we've said it on the podcast. What you started out by saying was that you think that tape has a much longer future from a uh, growth perspective, the ability for tape drives to get bigger and bigger without until you before running into the super paramagnetic limit, the super para. I just need to add that phrase to my, um, <laughs> it just makes me sound so much smarter when I say that the super paramagnetic limit. <laughs> limit for some reason i want to see paranormal and that's <laughs> that's not that's not the right thing so 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 based on your knowledge of that so like how big do you think a tape could get given that information so in in the work in my team um a, a lot of what we do is trying to explore what what those scaling limits for tape mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and developing the technology that enables us to push those limits. And what we were able to show um, at the end of last year in in collaboration with Fujifilm was recording on on a prototype tape media with prototype technology of 317 gigabits per square inch. Uh, So again, to put that in perspective, current products are at about 12 gigabits per square inch. We could show 
Wow. Recording at, at more than 300 gigabits per square inch. With um, all the same reliability and durability and everything else that you have with tape today as well? or That's um, not something that we've tested. Okay. Uh, but from the, the analysis of the physics, yes. Yeah, um, okay. Because I'm sure that people don't want to buy tape and then lose all those great qualities of tape, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So there's, there's a, a metric... Um, of the uh, basically that looks at the coercivity and the volume of the particles uh, that allows us to estimate how long will the data last on uh, any given magnetic medium. And this media that we developed for our demonstration has that same stability factor as current products. So, so if, it should be as reliable as as current tape. So dividing the the number that you gave from the number dividing those two numbers that's almost a 30x growth um, from what we currently have. So currently shipping exactly. so LTO9 for example just came out, right? Um, yes. and it and it's it's what from a what, what's L, what's the capacity of LTO nine? It's eighteen terabytes. Eighteen terabytes. Um, so if we just went crazy and multiplied five hundred forty terabytes, yeah, that'd be that'd be a half a petabyte on a on a tape. Um, so that sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's um, where we are today, right? It's not. It doesn't represent this fundamental physical limit is really just kind of a snapshot of the state of the art of the technology in the lab today. There's potential. So you're saying that you're saying that theoretically that number could be beyond. even bigger. Exactly. Up okay. until, you know, we get to around a thousand gigabits per square inch, then, then we will have the same, the same issues that the HDD industry okay. is currently. So that's like okay. one and a half petabytes on a tape. Exactly. Yeah. Whether, oh, yeah. whether or not we, want to ship a product like that yeah. <laughs> um, or if if the form factor will change to maybe shorter tapes that maybe there's still 100 terabytes in a tape um, but mm. the little, it, little it really depends tape. what what the industry is 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 looking for you know in terms of how much data you want to put on a single cartridge how long it takes to to write or read that because the other part of scaling of course is scaling data rate and we're constantly trying to increase the, the data rate of tape systems but at least in recent generations we've been scaling the capacity faster than we've been scaling the data rate so, so the that's, time to fill a cartridge is is getting longer yeah so that's interesting because that and by the way i, I think that's a good thing uh, because one of the things one of the downsides of tape, um, you know, because I, I cut my teeth on tape, you know, almost 30 years ago. That's when I when I started and I was cutting, you know, I was working uh, with like the Exabyte 8200s, right? The, I, well, actually, I, I used nine track tape, right, which was what, 120 bits per square inch. <laughs> Just when, you, when we think about that versus what, we, what we're talking about right now, it's a little crazy, but um, you know, so I was dealing with early eight millimeter tape drives, four millimeter tape drives, what a lot of people call DAT drives. They weren't DAT drives, they were DDS drives, but, um, that generation. And, and then, um, 
what happened at some point because of the demand for more capacity was tape got faster and faster and faster. And we, we created this problem where tape started to become fundamentally incompatible with what most of us were using it for, right? That we couldn't, we couldn't supply a stream of data fast enough to the tape drive to make it happy. And so most of us have moved, you know, for those of us that are still pro tape, we've moved tape a little farther back in the picture, meaning we, 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 we don't, we, at least I haven't recommend using it for incremental backups for a really long time because incremental backups tend to be very, very slow. Meanwhile, you got this tape drive that wants to go really, really fast. And so we've at a minimum, we've moved it be behind some sort of caching system so that we mm-hmm. can cache all our backups onto disk and then we can copy it to tape. Um, but one of the reasons for that was because as the tapes got bigger, they got faster at the same rate. And so if you continue to do that, right, we would have a petabyte cartridge that needs, you know, a terabyte of data. Well, we'd need like a couple of terabytes of data per second to make it happy. Um, so, yeah, so th- I, I see that as a good thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that you agree that you've been able to independently scale capacity and speed. Yes, yeah, no, very much. And th- there's there's kind of a, a spectrum of tape users out there. Um, th- many people, they they can't supply data fast enough to a tape drive. Right. And so we design our tape drives with variable tape speed so that you can slow the drive down and and supply it with data at, at a lower rate and, it, and it's still happy because we like to run them kind of in, in streaming mode. Right. But then there are... Other customers like CERN is this big uh, scientific experiment in Switzerland where they have this particle accelerator that smashes particles together and generates huge amounts of data in a very short period of time. And so they they want to write as much as possible. They use tape because tape is extremely fast. And they they actually stripe data across many tape drives because they want gigabytes per second data rate or terabytes per second data rates. I never would have thought that tape would be used in that sort of fashion, but that's interesting. Yeah. I've taught, I forgot the name of the company I spoke to in San Diego. So we have a lot of biotech companies in San Diego where I live. And I remember talking many years ago, I don't know, I'm going to say at least 10 years ago, I remember talking to a biotech company that was doing research in San Diego that talked about creating exabytes of data per week. And I remember thinking, well, that's just crazy. <laughs> but where are you going to put you know, it? <laughs> yeah. Where are you going to put it? Because, you know, you, you can't, you can't buy enough disk drives or, or, um, and you certainly wouldn't, you wouldn't want to put that on flash because it's just, it's not that kind of data. Right. But yeah, that, that's interesting. You're saying that because a lot of people, again, I just want to reiterate, a lot of people think the tape is slow and that's why we stopped using it. No, no, that's not, it, the problem became, it became too fast, right? It became too fast for many incremental backups. But now you have these applications that you're talking about, like CERN being one of them, where actually the, the, the best thing about tape is how fast it can write the data. Because what's the, what's the current transfer speed of, of LTO9? Do you have it off the top of your head? 400 megabytes per second. 400 megabytes per second. Try that 
hard drive. <laughs> that's that's a really fast transfer rate at a high rate of re- reliability. And you're saying that that even isn't fast enough for them that they're striping it across multiple tape drives. That's amazing. Do they do? Are they doing um, rate? By the way, uh, essentially, are they writing parity? So in in CERN, not, but in some of our other uh, supercomputing centers or, or scientific uh, labs, they're they are using rate. Um, where they what is rate? Type across so okay. redundant array of independent tape drives, basically. So it's the equivalent of RAID, but for tape. We played with that. There was a it was a company that was playing with that back in the nineties. The idea was was not it what it it was it was trying to solve the wrong problem, right? It was tra- it was saying we're going to make tape more reliable by writing independently to to let's say five uh, tape drives at once. But the prop but the problem was we already weren't supplying enough fat data fast enough for one tape drive. And if you're gonna stripe it across five or six tape drives, it makes it makes that problem much, much worse. But yeah, it's it's basically writing to a tape writing to a series of tapes like you would to to discs in a like it's like raid, but it's tape, yeah. so it's it's raid. Yeah. Um I, I know, and by the way, I do think and and I, I applaud you for any part that you personally played in this. I, I am pleased to see that tape drive manufacturers have gotten better at being able to step down right the the speed right because for a while the the, the step down speed even when they had it, it it couldn't go that slow do you happen to know how slow a modern tape drive can go at this point at least the ones from ibm obviously so maximum speed is 400 megabytes per second mm-hmm. and then the slowest speed is about 65 megabytes per second which is great uh i mean that's that's and because there are all sorts of applications um i mean even though again you know i'm a pro tape person that's still not slow enough for an incremental backup right A, a, a normal regular incremental backup but it's still probably slow enough that you could possibly avoid multiplexing multiple full backups through a single tape drive. Full back, yeah, yeah, you you could send full backups to it without worrying about multiplexing, right? And all the issues that happen. Yeah. And shoe shining um yeah. right cuz and, and for those we don't talk about shoe shining too much on the podcast. The idea is that the tape can't write that you're you're sending data to the tape at a rate slower than it can write at <laughs> correcting my English as I'm saying it. And so the tape has to it has to speed up to its minimum speed you know, take the data from the buffer, write it to the tape, and then it turns back around and the buffer's empty because you didn't supply data fast enough. And so the tape's got to stop, rewind, reposition. And then, and when it does that back and forth, back and forth, you we call it shoe shining because it's like, like the tape is shining the head and it shortens the life of the drive, shortens the, you know. Um, and it, it, to me, it was the fundamental problem that we started having in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s with the reliability of tape tape got less reliable because of this problem and we uh, it it wasn't the tape it was the way we were using it right um and so that's that sort of created this world of disk for backups mark i have a question for you so is there a fundamental reason tapes can't go slower there are some challenges to going too slow um and the i mean today 
tape drives achieve um, a high data rate by having multiple read-write heads that, that operate in parallel. So an LTO9 drive has 32 parallel transducers. We're writing 32 tracks at the same time. Um, and the, the whole system is architected so that we always write 32 channels. And that kind of places a limit on how slowly you can write data because we're, we're writing 32 things at the same time. Um, and there's another uh, engineering challenge of how slowly you can move the tape, um, primarily because of the way we do the, the servo positioning. Um, so there's position information that's formatted on the tape when it's manufactured. The head is reading that information and using it to adjust the position so that you know, we write the data in the right place or we position the readers on top of the tracks. And if the tape moves too slowly, we're not updating that position information fast enough and it gets hard to accurately position the head. So that um, if there was a, a, a strong enough demand for it, you know, there's, there's always engineering solutions it, yeah. <laughs> for it yeah. to make it go slower. Yeah. Um, but, turn off, turn off 31 of the heads. <laughs> you, you waste exactly. a lot of tape. You waste a lot of yeah. tape, but you, but you yeah. could slow the tape drive down. Where yeah. we, we could make tape drives that, that have much lower data rates if, if there yeah. was demand. But there's... It's probably the opposite is what you have the demand for, right? Right. Exactly. There's, there's a mixed demand. There's the, the CERNs of the world that say, you cannot go fast enough for me. And then <laughs> there, there are other people saying that, whoa, 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 no. 400 megabytes per second <laughs> is too fast. And right. trying to find a balance... Um, between those two worlds, um, yeah. and this you know, variable tape speed is is a good engineering solution for for that problem. But yeah. there's a limit to how much range we yep. can provide. Now that makes yeah. sense. And 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 given yeah, given the market demands, right? There's probably not a, there's probably not a huge group of people that are saying I want tape drives that can go three megabytes per second. Right. There's, there's no one, there's no one that's asking for that. Exactly. And, and what, what you described of having a cache in between mm -hmm. is, is a good solution for, for right. most people. Right. If, right. Exactly. Yeah. For the, for those that want a tape copy, you can easily use disc to back up everything to disc. And then you can, and then, then you've essentially created a cache. It's like a full backup, right? The, the problem is the incremental backup, which is the one that we do most often, right? Because the incremental backup is scanning through the file system, trying to figure out what to back up. And it spends most of its time looking and not enough time sending. But once you've got all that data to, to disk, uh, you can then very easily create a tape copy if that's what you want to do. Uh, and that's where tape has another advantage, which is bandwidth, right? Uh, never underestimate the bandwidth of a truck, right? Um, you exactly. know, the, the latency is not so good uh, with, with the truck, but the bandwidth is unlimited. And so you can you can hand a box of tapes to someone and tell them to put it in the salt mines, get it far away. Uh, I mean, tape had some disadvantages. DR, you know, I'm still a fan of disk. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of disk and I'm a fan of cloud for DR, but it's really hard to beat the air-gapped copy uh, that you can put on a tape and put it behind literally armed guards. So LTO9, I think, got delayed by COVID. Did, like it, it was supposed to ship a while ago. It, it shipped now or is shipping now. 
what do you think is on the horizon? And and by the way, you, IBM still makes what what what's the current branded? So our our enterprise drive is TS eleven hundred series. So eleven sixty right. is our latest enterprise product, and LTO nine is the the latest mid range. Right. So what what are the specs on the the TS drives? So the TS eleven sixty that came on the market, I think at the end of 20, the 2019 timeframe uh, is 20 terabytes cartridge capacity and 400 megabytes per second data rate. Um, so our next product that we'll likely ship will be the next generation enterprise drive, the TS1170. And then the LTO10 will, will follow that. Um, what advantage does the enterprise drive have over LTO? The enterprise drives have what we call a high resolution tape map that basically keeps track of where blocks of data are located on tape. Uh, so when you want to recall data from tape, you can tell the tape drive, I want to you know, recall these 10 files. And the tape drive will go and look at this map and say, well, instead of you know getting these files back in the order that you requested them in, you know because tape is a this sequential media where we're doing serpentine recording back and forth. Logically, the files might be in order, but mm -hmm. the the fifth file that you asked for may be right next to the first file, um, and so you get much better performance if you have knowledge of physically on tape where the files are and you reorganize them basically to minimize the the time to get the files back again. Oh, that's and, pretty awesome actually. Yeah. yeah. So and so much shorter time that, to data for a large data transfer it sounds like. Exactly, and especially if you you want to recall a large number of, of files from, from a single cartridge um, th this can give you much higher uh, overall performance. It's almost like you have a file catalog for your enterprise drive. Exactly. I think one other sort of vision, possible vision in the future, you were, you were very, you were, you weren't any, you weren't committing here, but you, there was one little part where you said possibly we might see a change in the form factor so that the aerial density will go up of tape. And so we'll fit more data on a piece of media, like in, in, in terms of square footage, but we might not see 10 petabyte tapes. We might, what we might see is a change in the form factor so that we don't create that, that a, a different monster, right? That we, that we might see what would be, what would be interesting to see what form that would take, right? Would you know, would it be, you know, and I, and again, obviously you can't comment on it, but you know, would it be a physically smaller tape? like uh, the cartridge itself, would that be a change or would it be, you know, just less tape inside the same cartridge that we already know? There's kind of lots of design <laughs> options and that's something that, that my team you know, likes to, to kind of explore. Yeah. Um, right. So let me ask you, and, and, uh, you know, if this is a 20 minute answer, then we'll just scrap it. But so I grew up on helical scan technology, right? So the 8200s, the, the, uh, the the DDS drives, um, you know, there, there were a number of helical scan, which, and for those of you that don't know what that is, so the the, the LTO and, and the, you know, the IBM Enterprise Drive and, you know, a lot of drives, pretty much all of the modern 
tape drives, they do linear scan, meaning the, the recording head is stationary and the tape is, is basically passed across this stationary recording head versus a uh, helical scan where the tape was wrapped around a spinning drum and you wrote st- diagonal stripes of data on the tape. Is there a short answer to the question as to why helical scan? Because it seemed to me, again, not being in the design room, it seemed to me that helical scan would have less of a problem with shoe shining because you could move the tape very slowly, you know, and, and, and there would be less of a problem. But for some reason, just overnight, all the helical scan drives just sort of disappeared uh, and, and LTO reigned supreme. Can you speak to that? I never worked on on helical scan technology, but now I feel really old, Mark. <laughs> I didn't work on it. I, I've, I've used it. Right. I had right. a VCR too. Oh <laughs> yeah, VC, VCRs were helical scan. Exactly. Um, I, I think there were kind of two two challenges. the The first one is related to data rate. The helical scan drives had a single read write head, so they were ah. writing one stripe, and <clears throat> The, there was work on trying to make parallel heads for helical scan, mm-hmm. uh, but it's much more challenging to kind of coordinate multiple heads on a helical scan drive than, than mm-hmm. on a linear tape drive, right? It's very straightforward. You want more data, we just double the number of heads. We went from 8 to 16 to 32 tracks in, in LTO and, and enterprise, and we can keep doing that to keep scaling the data rate much, much harder to do with helical scan. So they, they couldn't keep up with with the data rate. The the other challenge is that the, the tape is moving relatively slowly. It's being transported slowly. Right. Uh, but because this drum is rotating, the relative speed between the head and the tape is actually very fast. It's much faster than in an, in, a, in a linear tape drive because they're trying to get a very high data rate. And that made the wear uh, in helical scan drives, more of a challenge than than in linear. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, so I'm glad I'm glad that that didn't take 20 minutes. Um, but and I'm glad I asked that question because it's always been this has been on his mind for the last 30 years. <laughs> it's, been, it's been there for a while. Finally, some closure. <laughs> I got some closure on my my friends the the helical scan drives. I always wondered they just sort of disappeared overnight. So this has been a fascinating conversation, Mark. Uh, I'm super glad that we had you on the podcast. Uh, wanna, I want to thank you for, for coming and, and talking to us. Well, thanks for, for having me. I really enjoyed the, the discussion with, with you guys. And uh, thank you for Persona for your, your car and, and tape advice. <laughs> Anytime, Curtis. And thanks, Mark. Um, hopefully at some point we can also talk about some of the FPGA work you're doing as well. I find that area very interesting and new as well. So maybe in a future podcast, you're willing to come on and we can chit chat about that. Be great to, to come back again and, and talk about FPGAs. All right. And thanks to the listeners. And, uh, you know, we'd be nowhere without you. Remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a
Maybe. 